0: 3 two we him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008
1: World
0: Wednesday, April 19th, 2017, welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House. I'm Bill Furman, I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Chet, the NFL Draft is now one week away, April 27th through 29th, which covers two more Philly Press Box Radio shows. Last week, we started off our coverage with Hall of Famer Ray Dittinger, and this week, We've got our man, Fran Duffy, back for the fourth year in a row, and I can't wait to talk draft with Fran.
2: Yeah, we do look forward to this one every year, Bill. Fran will talk about all of the likely first-round picks, throw in a few sleepers for later rounds, and much more. He is something of a draft guru, and he's the video content manager for the Philadelphia Eagles, that Fran Duffy. He sure is. A friend.
0: welcome back to the show. Glad to have you, my friend.
2: Bill,
1: Jim, appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks again.
0: All right. Hey, for those that are interested in, in maybe asking Fran a draft question tonight, we're going to have our phone lines open, all show, so you can call 929-477-2855, ask Fran a question, and uh, I guarantee you he's going to know the answer. Hey, Fran, before we get started talking 2017 draft, though, we sat here last year and, and listened to you talk about Carson Wentz. And, you loved everything about him and you were dead on.
2: And Bill, hey, <laughs> thanks to the miracle of thanks to the miracle of audio tape technology, let me in fact play exactly what Fran had to say about Wentz on our show a year ago. In fact it was April twentieth, two thousand sixteen, so a year ago tomorrow and not only that, this was about five hours after the Eagles made the huge trade with the Browns to move up to number two overall in the draft and come right out and tell us that they would be taking the quarterback. So here is Fran on North Dakota State's Carson Wentz a year ago. I think
1: the upside's very high for Carson Wentz, yeah, you know, because you you
0: see the physical tools
1: and they're certainly there.
0: He's a big kid, he's a
1: good athlete, got a good arm, he's accurate, good decision maker, and really honestly, the big thing that's always stood out to me with Carson Wentz are the mental traits. You know, and he had full autonomy at the line of scrimmage. He was given everything pre-snap in terms of what the play call was going to be, except the protection. He set all
0: the protections all year long for North Dakota State when he was in the game. Well, friend, we're now one year in. You were dead on. What's your analysis of that, Carson Wentz, right now?
1: Well, I, I stand by that analysis. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I'm really, really excited about uh, what he brings to the future for the Philadelphia Eagles and, You know, obviously, look, 2016 didn't go exactly how he would have planned. Uh, He obviously would have liked to have a better rookie year in terms of overall numbers and, more importantly, more wins. But I think overall, when you look at the tape and see what he was able to do, especially on short notice, remember, he didn't know he was going to be the starting quarterback until, you know, a week and change before the start of the regular season. Uh, Only played a handful of snaps in the preseason, so... The fact that he was able to, on short notice, turn around and have the kind of performance that he did, especially early in the year, uh, was really remarkable. And, and just now the additions that they've made on offense, uh, I think this is going to be a better team in 2017 than what we saw a year ago. So really, really excited to see Carson Woods come off of, uh, a strong rookie year and now have that first offseason with the team and start to gel and take another year in terms of his development as he projects forward to 2017
2: and beyond. All right, fan. we're going to talk draft. But just so we're clear, although you work for the Eagles, you don't know whom Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman are targeting. Is that an accurate statement? Or if you do, heck, you feel free to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) I wish
1: I did know. That would make my job a whole lot easier, right? I mean, I I don't know what those guys are thinking. I know that, uh, you know, obviously they are going to make the, the best decision possible for the future of that team and what they're going to plan to do. In the future, with Carson Wentz at the helm. But uh, no, I, I watch all these guys. I, I love what I do. and I get to chance to watch all of them and make my own evaluation as I to help to try and project what they can do in the NFL, hopefully for the Eagles and as well uh, for the show that I produce, Eagles Game Plan, that's on NBC locally in Philadelphia, for my Eagle on the Sky pieces that are on philadelphiaeagles.com. It helps to know all these players as they enter the league.
2: Yep, I had a hunch that was the case, but I just wanted to make sure. Anyway, friend, there are dozens, now make that hundreds of mock drafts out there, and of all the ones I've looked at this month, the majority of them have the birds taking a cornerback with the name Gary and Conley of Ohio State, most prominently mentioned as the guy coming to Philly with pick number 14. What's your assessment of Conley?
1: You know, Conley is a guy that really grew on me before you watch because when I first watched him back in, I want to say it was late January after the Senior Bowl, Uh, That was the first time I got a chance to watch him, and you watch and you say, you know what? He's got he's got good physical tools, not great. You know, he looks like a nice player. He plays inside, he plays outside. He's pretty well rounded, but he didn't stand out to me in any one way when I was watching him early. And I only watched a game or two just to get a taste before the combine. Then after the combine, I go back and I get a chance to watch more. Now that I've seen all the juniors, I get I go through all these guys. And when I go back and watch more of Conley, you really see a lot of those traits that really help guys succeed in the NFL. And one of those traits, you see ball skills, you see instincts and awareness, you see route recognition, you see toughness, and you see versatility. And and that's one of those things when you see a guy and Conley is brings all of that to the table. And that's why I think you're getting a a lot of buzz about him going, not just sitting in the top 20, but potentially now, even in the top 10 of drafts because – uh, really, he brings everything to the table. I think he's viewed as a safe player in this draft, in the secondary, are a very deep group of quarterbacks. And Conley is really intriguing because he has all the physical tools. You can check all the, all the boxes you want with Gary and Conley in terms of size and speed and ball skills, but then also a lot of the mental traits. And he, and he made so many great plays in zone coverage this past year for Ohio State. He made a lot of plays in man as well. So you see that scheme versatility, the position versatility to play inside and outside. That's why
0: I think he's being considered as one of the top corners in the draft. Well, Fran, you know, each year I always have my favorites, and and I've got two favorites, and I want to run these by you. One is offense, one is defense. Uh, Will they be there at 14? If they are at 14, would Fran Duffy pick them if he was on the clock? Offense? You know I love that Christian McCaffrey. I think he does everything. And defensively, Ruben Foster to me is a he is a game changing kind of linebacker along that CJ Mosley, Alabama bloodline. What what's your say?
1: Yeah, I love both players. You know, I think when you look at Christian McCaffrey, uh, I think he's the number two running back in this draft. He's six foot, he's two hundred and five pounds, he's got all the athletic traits you want. He's obviously a great kid off the field, but just looking on the field, he's a dynamic threat out of the backfield in the passing game. But more importantly, to me, if he was just a dynamic threat out of the backfield in the passing game, I don't think you'd be talking about him in the top 20, but I think the fact that he can be a primary ball carrier in an NFL offense, which he has shown he can do. He carries the ball or touched the ball 670-plus times over the last two years. He can handle a heavy workload, and he did it in a pro-style offense for Stanford. So he's got good vision between the tackles, really good feel for operating in tight spaces. But then also when you add in that third-down value, that ability to be moved around the formation, and he's one of the best route runners in this class regardless of position. Christian McCaffrey is an outstanding football player. And then you go to Reuben Foster, who – me honestly if you're just going based off what he does on the football field he's probably a top five player in this draft he's physical he arrives at the ball with bad intentions he's athletic he's got sideline to sideline speed he can come downhill and play uh in the run game but so play in reverse and pass coverage the question you're going to have and you mentioned cj mosley and i'm really glad you mentioned him, bill because remember cj mosley that year was viewed the same way he was viewed as one of the safest players in the draft and you know, he was a, a dynamite player that was going to be seen as a, a first-year starter that would be a Pro Bowl talent, but he fell a little bit. And why did he fall a little bit? Because not everybody felt comfortable with him moving forward, not on the field, but off the field. And it wasn't necessarily the off-the-field concerns. It was his knee. People had some issues about him medically. But now you look at Ruben Foster, there are some conflicting reports about his shoulders and what that looks like moving forward. He got dismissed from the combine. I don't remember ever seeing anybody – get removed from the combine midweek. And, and so people are worried about, you know, am I going to be able to be comfortable with him off the field? Now, this is what happens at this point of the year. Now, over the last couple of weeks, every team is now going to do work on guys like Ruben Foster and some of the other character concerns in this draft and feel like, okay, am I comfortable taking this guy in round one and round two and round three and bringing him into our culture? How is he going to respond? How is he going to be a part of what we try to do here as a football program If a team feels comfortable adding Ruben Foster into their culture, he's going to be a top-ten pick. If he's not, then he's going to fall, and now we're going to see how quickly a team will be able to scoop him up as long as they feel comfortable. And you see all the visits he's going on. He's visiting with every team that will take him because now you're going to see are they going to be able to get a better look at him since they didn't didn't get a chance to talk to him at the Combine. Now you bring him in on all those personal visits and get a really good close look at what Ruben Foster is like as a person.
0: Interesting. Well, hey, quick follow-up on McCaffrey. Uh, you know, he he actually looked like he came up on everybody's board once the combine came through where he, he just crushed the combine. But what in the world was the guy supposed to do that he didn't crush for the last two seasons? It's Bamford. He pretty much did it all, but then he goes into a, basically a test, test mode and proves to people that he can really be something else. I, I was a little confused by that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, and that's what the one thing that's always interesting when you follow this process is, you know, what people view as risers and fallers, And a lot of that happens when the media catches up to what teams and scouts and player evaluators are really thinking. And that's really one of the things that I think popped up with Gary and Conley. I think that's one of the things that popped up with Christian McCaffrey. I think everybody knew Christian McCaffrey could play football, but I don't think people really bought in completely. And by people, I mean fans. I don't think the fans and media fully bought in completely until they got that verification at the combine and said, oh, you know what? This kid is pretty athletic too. It stands up to what you saw on tape. Now we can consider him as a top 15 pick. I think always he was considered as that kind of a player uh, in an NFL offense.
2: All right, friend. you have McCaffrey. Then you have Leonard Fournette, who will almost certainly be a top 10 pick. The Eagles will take a running back at some point in the draft, you got to think. So, Besides those guys, you have Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon, both of whom have had off-the-field issues that will almost certainly impact where they are drafted. Any idea how far Cook and Mixon will drop?
1: I have no idea. and It's really it's interesting following all the reports
2: because, obviously, with Joe Mixon, there's
1: a whole other layer to it because of the video, uh, and that really does cloud things. And we'll see how far he's able to drop or how quickly he goes off the board. A lot of people think it could be early round two. But then there are reports that it might not be. I know Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk said it might not be until after, you know, in the middle of day three, if at all. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes with Joe Mixon, obviously extremely talented, uh, one of the most talented players overall in this draft. Then you go to Davin Cook. There are similar issues there in terms of what he can be like off the field. What is he going to be when you bring him into your culture? He's got some injury concerns as well with his shoulders. He's had some fumbles in his past. He's a, he's a little bit on the lighter side. So there's questions with both players. I think ultimately, I think you're going to see Dalvin Cook probably go off the board anywhere from the, the early 20s, I would guess, until the, we'll say the mid-40s. And I think Joe Mixon, that's a good question. I, I think that Joe Mixon, hmm. gun to my head, probably early second round would be my guess. But, it, it, no, that's a really, really tough question
0: to answer. Interesting. Well, friend since the Eagles added a couple wide receivers that are pretty good players, uh, they added an offensive lineman. They, they look like they've surrounded Carson Wentz with some weapons that might lead you to think that they're certainly going defense in this draft. Do you think, or do you think, uh, you know, if a McCaffrey is still, is there they jump them, or you think they're definitely going defense?
1: No, I, I think that honestly, the, the Eagles are going to let the board come to them. They're in a really good spot, and I've been saying this now for a couple months, where when you look at this draft, I always hate to be picking in like the, the five, six, seven range because I think you can get really good value compared to those players where the Eagles are at in terms of their early teams until the late part of the first round. I think there's a, a huge clump of players that are all around the same quality of talent. And really what it's going to come down to is, Look, 13 teams pick ahead of them, and there's only so many players that can go in their 13 picks. In fact, my research shows only 13 can go before the Eagles pick. So really what it comes down to is when you look at the two backs, you have Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. You've got those three big receivers. You've got O.J. Howard, your tight end. You've got the three edge rushers in Miles Garrett, uh, in Dark Barnett, Charles Harris. You've got the interior guys in Jonathan Allen, Tyler Thomas. Ruben Foster, you've got any combination of the corners, you've got the two stud safeties. So many great players, not all of them can go in the first 13. So now you can let the board come to you. They're going to have some options there, and I do believe that they're going to take the best player available uh, based off of what they see as their board. And that's the big thing. Every team, all 32 teams, are going to have different boards and how they view players and based off their interactions with them throughout the process. They're going to go by their board and select the best player for them and their team moving forward.
2: One of the guys you mentioned, Fran, is uh, that defensive end, Derek Barnett. Some people say he could go in the top ten, but as you said, it's kind of a real crapshoot this year. So many good players in the top half of that first round. What do you think about Derek Barnett, and, you know, would the Eagles consider him perhaps?
1: I think Derek Barnett is really intriguing. He's 6'3", 265 pounds. Uh, What fascinates me about Barnett is, look, he's been super productive. He broke Reggie White's sack record at the University of Tennessee, and and obviously that – stands by itself as a really impressive feat. But he's gotten better each and every year. He's a high-motor guy. He can win with his hands, but he also shows the ability to win off the ball. And that was something that he didn't always show to a high level in years past. I think you didn't always see that get-off from him. But he's got the ability to win off the ball. He showed that uh, throughout the year, this past year as a junior. And Barnett is a guy that can also play the run. And that's something that really kind of helps him moving forward, is that he's a little bit more well-rounded than some of the other pass rushers in this class. And I think maybe his ceiling isn't as high as, say, a Charles Harris, let say a Tack McKinley from UCLA, or a Tim Williams from Alabama. But I think that he's viewed by many as being a little bit safer because he's a little bit more well-rounded, and he's pretty good with his hands. He's a pretty polished pass rusher, and he's got that high motor. He's a great kid off the field. So Derek Barnett, I think, wouldn't shock me at all if he did go top 10, but he's definitely worthy of going in that area in terms of the top 10, top 20 of this draft.
0: Hey, Brandon, you, you mentioned a ton of talented players, and, and this draft is said to be as deep as there, there's been in a long, long time. Is this a can't-miss draft? I mean, that there's at least in the first couple rounds that you're going to get quality players pretty much however you pick them?
1: Uh, I will say I've learned to say that there's no such thing as can't-miss. Uh, there's no such mm-hmm. thing as safe. Uh, there's You can be close, and that's always, that's always the important part. You want to get as close <laughs> to safe as possible. Uh, but this whole thing is a projection. You know, I think that that's one of the big things that's lost. And that's why the character evaluation of players is so important and is so undersold from a public eye is that we all can watch tape. And, you know, I can watch, you know, three games of one guy. Bill, you can watch the same three games and come away from a completely different opinion. But then when you meet a player and you, can, you kind of say, okay, well, uh, you know, I feel like he, he could be really reliable moving forward. I feel like he might be influenced by outside factors. He might fall into the wrong crowd. He might fall into bad habits. Or, look, he might come in here and really develop into a better leader. He might develop into a physical specimen that maybe he wasn't at the college level because he was in a different kind of weight program. All of the projection, the big picture, all goes into this. And that's why when we see guys fall a little bit further than we expected or go a little bit earlier than we expected, that's because these NFL teams have to take everything into account. It's not just the film. As much as we, I like to say that the, the film doesn't lie, at some point you do have to take everything into account. And that's off the field, it's medical, it's athletic testing, it's, it's everything that is a big part of the picture.
2: Hey, Fran, we said we'd take some calls, and we, in fact, do have a call. And I think I recognize this number. It's a guy who's on our show uh, quite frequently. He's helped us through the uh, past NFL season with making picks and analysis. Fred Hugo. Fred, how you doing, buddy?
0: Hey, what's going on? Hey, friend, uh, big fan of yours.
1: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, so I, I listed you on, like, the college draft a lot, and you always do that uh, three-for-one thing at the end. So I was going to try <laughs> to give you three names real quick, and then I'll just hang up and listen to what you got to say. Sure, sounds good. Is that cool? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's here. i got Shoot. the three guys that I, that I kind of like for the – well, I, I doubt they'll get the one guy, but I, I, I like in the draft. So, Justin Davis, Garrett Bowles, and Tono uh, Passanio from Nova. All right, very very interesting. So, uh, Justin Davis, the running back from USC, who, who I'm a big fan of, and, and one of the things that I like about Justin Davis is his vision inside. I think he's a sneaky good athlete. He hasn't been able to do a full slate of athletic testing because of an injury this off season, but Justin Davis, at six foot one ninety eight. He's long, he's lanky, he's really smooth, and he's got good vision. He can impact the game on third down. You do worry that he's never been a full-time ball carrier. You do worry that he has had some issues with ball security in his past. But I like Justin Davis. I think his skill set projects really well to the NFL level. And he's got the ability to be a primary back. He's just never done it. And so that's a little bit of a projection there. Uh, you mentioned Tano Passagnol from Villanova who, you know, look, guys, I've been going to the senior ball. I think this was my sixth, my fifth or sixth senior Bowl. And I don't know that I've ever heard the audible reaction from the crowd of scouts and GMs and coaches and media and fans that I heard at the weigh-ins when Tano Passanio walked up on stage without his shirt on at six seven, you know, 280 pounds, just chiseled. I mean, the the kid is is built like you know, like you and I would kill to be. Uh, And really, when you watch him at Villanova. He's got a lot of physical tools that are going to have a lot of people intrigued. I mean, he can get off the ball uh, better than you would think for a guy that size. He's got positional versatility. He can bend a little bit for his size. And some people wonder, is he an interior guy? Is he an, out, is he an outside guy? Is he an outside edge rusher? What is he at the NFL level? He does need to get stronger. He needs to get more power with his hands. But I think a lot of people view a kind of a, a moldable ball of clay that they can turn into an all-pro caliber player. I've heard some really interesting player comparisons for him throughout this process. And then the last player you mentioned was Garrett Bowles, and he, and he is the best player of that group. Bowles is really intriguing. You know, He only played one year of big-time college football. as a junior college transfer to Utah. Uh, and really, when you look at Garrett Bowles, he's got some of the lightest feet in this tackle class. His feet are outstanding. He's an outstanding puller. I mentioned with Reuben Foster that he arrives at the ball with bad intentions. Garrett Bowles arrives at the point of contact with bad intentions. And even though he's a little bit light in the past, He tried to bury defenders on a consistent basis, both in the run game and then as well in the pass game. When he had his hands on people, he tried to put them on their back. And so you're dealing with a guy who's a little bit older. He's going to be a 25-year-old rookie, and some people are turned off by that. But really athletic. He's another guy that's kind of a moldable ball of clay because he's so green to to the game of football. Missed a couple years during high school because of some issues he had away from the field. But Garrett Bowles is really, really intriguing on the field. I'll be surprised, honestly if he falls out of the first round. I do expect him to go sometime in round one.
2: Friend, let me ask you about another uh, local guy, Hassan Reddick, the linebacker from Temple. He's projected as a first-round pick. What do you think about Reddick?
1: Guys, I would say that probably nobody has been helped more during the pre-draft process than Hassan Reddick. And not to say that his tape wasn't good. I mean, he led the country in tackles for loss this past year. I think it was 18-and-a-half tackles for loss. This past year for Dallas, he's a two-year starter at defensive end. But honestly, I always watched him and thought at his size, I think he's have to, he's going to have to move off the ball and play as a stand-up linebacker, not even as a 3-4 outside linebacker, but more as, a, as an inside guy. And so when he went to the senior ball, I was anxious to see what position he would play, and he did just that. He stood up off the ball. He was a middle linebacker throughout the course of the week, and he won practice player of the week down there as a linebacker. And it was great to see because you got to see how quickly – He was able to read and react to his run pass keys, how quickly he was able to diagnose plays. Because remember, when you play defensive end and you make that move to middle linebacker, you're seeing the game from a completely different vantage point that you're not accustomed to. There were times when he was asked to stand up during his career at Temple, but he did not do it often. He came to the Owls as a walk-on corner, so he does have experience playing in space, playing in coverage, and you saw some of that down in Mobile. So I think he went down there. He showed teams that he can do it. Then he goes to the Combine and blows the testing out of the water. Not just good for a defensive lineman, but when you stack his numbers up against linebackers over the last five years, his testing was outstanding. And so you showed a player that has pass rush ability, can play in coverage, has the physicality to play at the point of attack. He's athletic. He's green. He can play sideline to sideline. He's got a high motor. He's going to be a first-round pick. And even though he did not play the position that he's going to play in the NFL, he's going to go high. He's probably going to be in the top 20, top 25 of this draft. Uh Hassan Reddick has helped himself as much as anybody since, say, we'll say August. It's a really outstanding story.
0: Fantastic. Well, hey, Bram, we need to take a quick break. But before we do, how about you tell, uh, tell the listeners what all you have going on and where they can find you and where they can listen to you.
1: Well, Bill, you guys can always follow me on Twitter, at FW3. And I've got a couple podcasts. Uh, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, we're actually going to have episode 100 next week. Uh, that's out on there every single week. We talk football, we talk Eagles, All-22, NFL Draft, anything that you guys want to talk about. I usually get great guests each and every week. We have the Journey to the Draft podcast as well, uh, where we're talking NFL Draft throughout the course of the offseason. That's also over at philadelphiaeagles.com You can catch that. both of those podcasts on iTunes. And then next week for the draft, this is a great opportunity. If you're a big Eagles fan, if you're a fan of Philly sports, and you're watching the draft, and you want kind of a second-screen experience, or if you want something that's a little bit more honed in on your favorite team, tune into Eagles Draft Central. We're going to have a preview show on Wednesday, but then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, when the Eagles are on the clock, and we're going to be live all night on Thursday, wall-to-wall, but whenever the Eagles are on the clock, Friday and Saturday, you can tune in to PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app, and we will cover uh, who the Eagles select and how they're going to impact the team. We've got a number of great analysts in the studio. We're going to have uh, myself – Chris McPherson and and Dave Spadaro are going to be hosting, but you've got former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker will be on the show. Greg Cochell from NFL Films will be there. Ike Reese, former Eagles linebacker, will be on in studio. So we've got so many great guests. Howie Roseman, Doug Pearson, Joe Douglas will be there. All the coaches will be there. It's going to be a great, great show uh, throughout the course of draft weekend. So you can tune into that next week as well. That is
0: awesome. All right. Hey, Chet, let's take that break. Let's grab a beverage and – talk about the
2: irish rover station house taking a break from the football talk now to welcome chris Gaskill back to the show chris is the bar manager of the irish rover station house in Langhorn. what's happening at the rover these days chris we are your home for the phillies
0: this season we've got bud draft specials and our teeter top menu for every phillies game plus is throwing huge phillies tailgate parties here every month with opportunities to win tickets to the game you don't want to miss it
2: You've got DJs there Friday and Saturday this weekend. And then on Tuesday, there's a paint party. What the heck's that?
0: Paint parties are great. You grab a couple of friends. We supply canvases and paint. Tickets are $25 and come have a cocktail and we'll teach you how to paint
2: something. Plus, you're now taking reservations for Mother's Day. It all happens at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chet. All right. Back to you, Bill Furman.
0: All right. Appreciate it. Grab that beverage up, and uh, Fran, I've got another question for you right out of the chute. A mystery man to me. How about that, Jabril Peppers? Where's he going to play <laughs> in the league, and where is he going to get drafted? He's all over the board.
1: Bill, I imagine he's probably going to go off the board late in round one or early round two. And really, what I th- you know, it's interesting because so many players over the last few years have made that transition from safety to linebacker because of the way that they play the game. Jabril Peppers arrived at Michigan as the number one corner in the country. Uh, he played at corner his first year. Then he moved to safety, and he played mostly as a slot corner in 2015. Then the new defensive coordinator, Don Brown, shows up at Michigan, and he moves into linebacker, and he plays the Sam linebacker role. So he's played all over the field on defense, not even counting his, his job as a returner. and On offense, he's played every skill position. But when you look at him on defense, he's played every single role so he's almost kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades master of none at this point. And when you look at him and the way he was built, I was really anxious to see how he was going to show up at the combine looking. Was he going to show up at 218, 220, and make that transitional linebacker? Or was he going to show up at 208, 205, and show, you know what, I'm going to be a safety? Well, he walked up to, the, to his uh, press conference, to the podium. The very first thing he says is, I'm a safety. What do I look like? I'm a safety. So he fully intends to play in the defensive secondary moving forward. Uh, And so right now, I would imagine that's how he's going to start his career. He thinks he's closer to an Earl Thomas. I think he's closer to a Cam Chancellor type of player, a guy that's really comfortable playing close to the line of scrimmage. He can play in coverage. Uh, I don't know if he's big enough right now to cover, you know, a Rob Gronkowski type of of tight end, but I do think that he can play in a a variety of zone concepts. He's got that versatility to be able to line up where you need him, but he looks really comfortable near the line of scrimmage as well. I do think that he's going to end up going off the board between, we'll say the 22nd pick and we'll say pick 48. I think he's going to go somewhere in that range as a strong safety type in an NFL defense.
2: Fran, I guess uh, we have to talk about quarterbacks. Eagles got their man last year, and I guess it's a good thing because this year three or four quarterbacks could be taken in the first round, but the experts say none of them is a can't miss. You have you know, Mitch Trubisky probably the first guy to go among those three or four. Um, but who do you like, and how good a crop of quarterbacks is this this year?
1: Uh, guys, it's not a very good crop, and and so and it, that's why it makes honestly, it makes hiring Roseman, and Doug Peterson, and all the Eagles decision makers look really good for the move that they made last year to make sure that they were able to be in a position to acquire Carson Wentz. But you look at this class, and there's just a lot of question marks. You know, Deshaun Watson is my favorite quarterback of this class. I do think he has a chance to be a solid NFL starter, not to the level of what I viewed Carson Wentz a year ago, but I do think that Deshaun Watson can run an NFL offense. You know, He doesn't have the physical upside of some of the other players in the class, but I feel the best, I feel the safest with a guy like Deshaun Watson and his decision-making skills. Uh, he did have some bad interceptions this year, and that's what turned some people off. He's not the biggest kid at 6'2", 215, but I think he's got a quick release, I think he's obviously got the ability to make plays with the football. But more importantly, you see that accuracy. You see he's got enough arm strength to be able to hit all areas of the field. And overall, I think he's just got the most well-rounded game of the group. A lot of people are really high on Deshaun Kaiser. A lot of people are really high on Patrick Mahomes. And I think both players have all the physical skill sets that you want to play quarterback. If you want to close your eyes and draw up what a quarterback looks like, you're drawing up uh, Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Kaiser. You know, 6'4", 6'5", 230 pounds. But I think with Kaiser, you see too many bouts of inconsistency. So too many bat- boneheaded throws, uh, especially in crunch time of games. And then with Mahomes, he's fighting an uphill battle because he's coming from an air raid scheme that has not projected NFL quarterbacks well at all. Uh, we've seen over a dozen quarterbacks come from similar schemes over the last, you know, ten, fifteen years, and none of them have turned out to be quality quarterbacks in the nfl between you know tim couch and uh you know obviously jared goff came from that similar scheme last year you had geno smith you've got brandon whedon you've got johnny Manziel. uh it's it's a kind of a murderer's row of quarterbacks that have not worked out at the nfl level so he's, kind of, he's got that working against them but then also the way that he plays the game is so outside of structure and so spontaneous that it's almost johnny Manziel like where you don't know what you're getting on any given play and while that's fine, we see Aaron Rodgers run around to make a play. We saw it with Brett Favre. It's just such a, a, a rare occurrence to see a quarterback be able to play that way consistently and have NFL success. It's really tough for me to project either of those guys uh, as successful NFL quarterbacks. So, uh, you know, Trubisky, 13 days started. That's such a small sample size that, you know, I don't blame anyone if they think Mitch Trubisky is the number one quarterback in this class because there are flashes of everything you want but it's such a small sample size that it's really, really tough to kind of project him to the NFL. So a lot of question marks in this class, and it's going to be very interesting to mm-hmm. see how it pans out uh, overall. I'll be interested to see where the run happens uh, with all these
0: guys. Well, Fran, I know you have a big board in front of you, and we're going to talk about some NF- or NFC East teams and their needs, uh, but your board right in front of you right now if, if Fran Duffy's on the clock, who are the Eagles taking at fourteen?
1: Well, honestly, and I don't want to I don't want to skip out on the question, Bill, but it really does depend on who's there. I, I mean, there's just so sure. many different combinations uh, of how this fir- the first thirteen picks
0: could go. You
1: know, how many quarterbacks are going to go off the board? And to me, if two or three quarterbacks go, and you're talking about a player like a Ruben Foster, like a Corey Davis, like a Jonathan Allen falling into the Eagles' lap. They may be too good to pass up on. You know, And then you look at, uh, you know, okay, well, let's say all of those players are gone, Leonard Fournette's gone, and now you've got the idea of a Christian McCaffrey versus a Gary and Conley versus a Charles Harris. Well, now it, it comes down to what you overall you – know, if you rank all those players similarly, which I do, now it comes down to positional value, and in which case you always go with a corner or a pass rusher, I think, over a running back in that scenario. But I think really it's going to come down to how you view it. But ultimately – I think it's. I really. It's tough for me to answer that question without knowing exactly how the board will look at that point in time.
0: All right, I'll I'll let you off the hook on that. But hey, <laughs> now, but I won't let you off the hook on this. With all the talent that's out there, what do you, what do you see the chances of trading down, or do you think there's really somebody that they might be after that they'd be willing to trade up?
1: I think I think most every team in the NFL if given the opportunity, would always trade down. The question is, do you have a team that wants to trade up? And that's always the tough part. Um, and so we'll see. I think we'll see if, the, if when that run on quarterbacks happens, uh, let's say, you know, only one quarterback goes before the Eagles pick, and that could be the one thing that could help them is if there's a team that wants to be able to jump, uh, you know, one of the teams picking in the late part of the teams, whether they want to jump the Washington Redskins, or, you know, they want to jump the, the Denver Broncos, or the even the Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs, if they want to jump some of those teams in the later part of the first round, they might want to set, call up the Eagles and say, hey, we want to trade up to 14 to select Patrick Mahomes, or we want to trade up to 14 to select Deshaun Watson. Now you might have a partner to be able to trade down and try and make some kind of a deal happen, and that could be really interesting, but uh, you know, overall, I think every team, if given the opportunity, would want to trade down. Would they want to trade up? I think that would be tough. I think really, when you're looking at the way that they've built this, and they've got eight draft picks this year, which is outstanding, considering they just traded uh, so many picks to be able to move up to select Carson Wentz and still have eight picks this year. I think that's great by Howie Roseman and his team. But I'll be, I'd be surprised if they traded up in round one. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, anything could happen, and that's one of the things I've always learned. Following this process as well.
0: Very interesting. Well, hey, Fran. Uh, talking about the East, right? The Cowboys think that they're they're close. Now they've lost a couple linemen. They've you know they've got some holes they've got to fill. They had a quarterback that played out of his mind, and a great running back as a rookie as well. The Redskins have lost a couple receivers. They they've got some problems. The Giants they have some holes as well. Where do you see these guys going? Washington picks closest to us, and then the Giants, and then the Cowboys last. How do you see their needs?
1: I think when you look at Dallas, it's got to be defense, defense, defense. I mean, they need help off the edge. Randy Gregory has not worked out. That's a huge question mark moving forward. Uh, They've lost a lot in the secondary. They lose starting safety Barry Church. Uh, They lost the cornerback. Uh, Brandon Carr, they lost Mo Claiborne So they've got Bobby Jones They signed Nolan Carroll, but what else do they have In that secondary, so I would expect Any of those corners in the back End of round one, it might be a tease Tabor, it might be even a, a safety Like an Obi Uh Somebody along those lines, even your real Peppers Could go to the Dallas Cowboys And I think that's where they're going to look, is on the defensive end Or on the defensive side uh, So it could be pass rush help or secondary help I think you look at the New York Giants a lot of people early in the process had them with a tight end, and I don't know that, uh, that that's the route that they're going to necessarily go, but I think when you look at the offensive line, that's an area where, number one, it's good value. I think that's where you start seeing some of those offensive linemen come off the board, whether that's a Garrett Bowles or a Ryan Ramcheck, uh one of the Cam Robinson, any of these tackles. I think they need some help there after Eric Flowers has not worked out. Uh, they lost Jonathan Hankins in, de- in free agency, the defensive tackle. So could they address that position? Uh, and then also quarterback. I think they could they could start looking ahead down the line uh, for Eli Manning's replacement as well. So I think that would be interesting. And then you look at Washington. Uh, that's another team where, look, they were the first team to ever lose two 1,000-yard receivers in the same offseason in the free agency. But on the, But still, I think they spent a first-round pick last year on the receiver position. I think you look at defense with that team, whether it's defensive line, linebacker, safety. I think they can still add a corner. Uh, Washington, I think, is going to look defensively as well. A lot of people have been connecting, running back to them early. I don't see that. I think it's more defensive help for the Redskins.
2: Friend, we keep hearing that this is a pretty deep draft for cornerbacks. We know that uh, it's an area of need for the Eagles and some other teams. Um, who are your top five cornerbacks? <laughs> Top, my
1: top five, and, and keep in mind, every team's going to have it differently because of what they want on their sure. team and, and how they'll fit their defense. But when I look at the cornerback position, I love Tradavius White. He, that's my guy. Uh, I think that he, you know, he's he got uh, such a well-rounded game. He's 5'11", he's 190 pounds. But when I look at defensive secondary, and particularly corner, I look at three traits. I look at instincts, I look at ball skills, and I look at competitiveness And Tredavious White has all three of them. And he's done it at a high level for four years for LSU. He's a four-year starter. He's played every position in the secondary, so he's got that versatility. He can come downhill and defend the run. Uh, I just love everything Tredavious White brings to the table, and he's one of my favorite players overall in this draft. I look at Kevin King uh, from Washington, a guy who's got great athleticism, but also outstanding size and length. Again, he's got that competitive edge. He's played a number of positions as well. He's played inside, outside, and he started his career at safety. Uh, I love Gary and Conley for all the reasons I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he brings a lot of those traits to the table. I think Cordray Tankersley from Clemson has really interesting upside. You know, he he's given up some big plays over the course of his career for a lot of different reasons. There was never one central issue with him, but when you look at size, speed, ball skills, toughness, ability to disrupt at the line of scrimmage, Cordray Tankersley from Clemson, six foot one ninety four, really really intrigues me. Uh, And then lastly, I I want to throw in, I guess you could throw in Morson Lattimore, uh, a player that many people have ranked as the number one corner in this class because he's got all the measurables. I mean, he ran 4-4-3-6 or 4-3-4 at the Combine. He's six foot. He can go up and and attack the football in the air. He shows natural ball skills. He's not as great a run defender as some of the people that we've mentioned before, but we know that when you play the cornerback spot, it comes down to how you play in coverage, and he's got man-to-man ability. The big question mark with him, and this is what could cause him to fall a little bit in the draft, is will his injuries be able to hold up? He missed his first two years, a large chunk of his first two years due to hamstring injuries. He wasn't able to finish his combine workout because of a soft tissue issue. So now you've got two, two years and now this combine workout that were kind of hurt by some injuries. Can Marshawn, uh, can Marshawn Lattimore stay healthy? Uh, over the long haul, and that's going to be a question that teams have, but he's got all the physical trends he and So now it's going to see, after meetings with the doctors, how is he going to feel with the trainers? It's going
2: to be very, very interesting to see Marshawn Latimer, where he ends up going in this draft. And what about Quincy Wilson?
1: Quincy Wilson's interesting because he's big, he's physical. I think he's gotten a lot better over the course of the last two years with the line of scrimmage and press coverage. That was an issue or concern I had coming into the year, but he did get better with his technique and with his discipline uh, at the line of scrimmage. He's a very good run defender. Some people think he would have to make the move to safety. I do think that for a lot of teams he can play corner because of his ability. He's got good ball skills, and he's got a, a really good edge to him. Um, I wouldn't have put him in the realm of some of these other corners that I've talked about. I do think he's more of a day-two guy, but I think Quincy Wilson is really, really impressive in a lot of ways. I really like the physical competitive edge that he brings to the cornerback spot.
0: Hey, Fran, uh, how about sleepers? Is there anybody that's laying out there that uh, really has you impressed, That that uh, is climbing up on the boards maybe that people aren't thinking about? Well, I think if you go
1: back to the fall, one player that was overrated by most in the media was Desmond King, right, from Iowa. And he was counted as a top 10, top 15 pick for most of last spring and summer, and then into the fall, even though he was listed 5'10, 205 pounds. And to me, whenever I watched Desmond King, I saw a guy who was uh, an inch and a half shorter and probably a step slower than what you would want as an outside corner, a guy that you would pick in the top 15. Everyone, he goes to the Senior Bowl. He doesn't have a great week down there. He gets beat a couple times in one on ones. doesn't look great. And then, you know, he didn't get a chance to test at the combine. So, you know, what is he? Some people thought, oh, he's going to have to move to safety. Now I think he's completely underrated. And now I, I – because he's a good football player. Even though he is shorter and even though he is a little bit slower than you'd want. I mentioned those three traits earlier, the, the toughness, the instincts, and the ball skills. None of that has anything to do with speed and, and quickness and size. I think Desmond King has all of those traits. He's got outstanding natural ball skills. He's instinctive. He's a four-year starter. He can play inside and outside, and he's got great instincts. And when I look at Desmond King – I see a guy that can play inside the slot for sure at the NFL level. I still think he can play corner for some teams, and some people think he can move to safety, and he's embraced that. He, he said uh, at the combine that he'd be willing to make that move to safety. I look at a guy like Cam Sutton from Tennessee. I like him even maybe even a little bit more than Desmond King. I think Cam Sutton is very similar in a lot of ways. 5'11", 182 pounds, a little bit lighter than you'd like. He's lighter than Desmond King. But Cam Sutton has great ball skills, and, again, another guy who's really instinctive has a really good feel for reading route concepts both from men and zone coverage and then finding the ball in the air downfield. I think Cam Sutton is another player who's really, really underrated in this class. Uh, and that's just two guys from the cornerbacks. But This quarterback class is so, so talented, so, so deep. You can go 14, 15, 16 players and find quality starters. Not every team is going to see that. But to, to me, in my eyes, I think there are 14, 15 guys that could probably come in and start depending on the scheme out of this class and so you know i just named two sleepers just from that group but you know i can go on and on it's a lot of positions but uh it's a really really good group over a lot of key positions all
2: right friend we're running out of time top two picks in the draft the browns and the 49ers is it a lock that cleveland takes miles garrett the defensive end <laughs> from texas a&m and what about the 49ers
1: I think it's definitely a lock, you know, to me and I don't I haven't been told, I don't know anybody in
2: the Cleveland organization. I, I would be so
1: shocked, I'd be blown away if they passed the Miles Garrett, number one. And then number two San Francisco. It's tough because you have a first time head coach, you have a first time general manager with no experience whatsoever. he never been in the front office, so it's not like you can look at him and say, Oh well, you know, when he was with this team they they did they did this. There's no background that you can work on with John Lynch. So where are they, what are they thinking? That's a big question. There's a lot of rumors that they could trade out uh, if there's a willing partner there. Are they they've been connected to Leonard Fournette? They've been connected to Solomon Thomas because of the Stanford connection with John Lynch. You know where are they going to go? That's really really tough to answer. I my, I would say that because of so of how little fanfare there has been, I would imagine that they will not go quarterback, and I think that they will probably go with who they view as the best player, and that could be Fournette uh, or it could be Solomon Thomas, and that's been the guy that's been connected to them in a lot of mock drafts. Solomon Thomas, as they make that move to a 4-3 scheme, could come in and play defensive end for them, Uh, and I think that that could be the the way they go.
0: Fantastic stuff, Brandon. Hey, uh, our 45 minutes is up. We've used you up pretty hard tonight, and they flew by again. So let's – as we wrap it up, let's uh, let our listeners know again how they can hear your draft coverage and everything else you have going on. Lay it out there again.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. So, uh, on Twitter, at FW3, you can check out two podcasts I'm a part of. you got the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, uh, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, both are at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So, you can listen to both of them. We're gearing up for draft coverage as well uh, next week on Wednesday night and then also Thursday, Friday, Saturday through draft weekend. We've got Eagles Draft Central, which you can watch on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You can watch it on the mobile app. You can check out a lot of that content on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook. We're going to have all the, the all the draft picks. We're going to have coaches on. We're going to have Doug Peterson. We'll have Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas, uh, When whoever we draft. You're going to have their coaches come on and talk about the players. I mean, we've got great analysts in studio. It's going to be a great show, and I'm really, really excited about it. So you can check that out. Again, Eagles Draft Central, Thursday night we kick off 730, a little bit before the draft starts. Uh, so you can check that out early on Thursday night. Great stuff,
0: Brandon. Yeah, hey, yeah. Uh, Thanks, Jim. i tell you what, you you know you know me, Fran. I like them X's and O's. I like all those things you post uh, during the season with the all-22s and all that great stuff. You're doing a great job with them.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
0: All right, Fred. Hey, thanks for joining us. Great. Uh, let's do it next year.
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to come on again.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Fred. Hey, Fran. hey yeah. Ted, I know, we have, I know we have a lot of listeners that are golfers, and uh, we've got a great chance to golf and help a great cause, and I still haven't heard back from Bob Sullivan on this yet.
2: Well, that's Bob being Bob. Anyway, Bill, yeah, hit the links on Sunday, May 28th, to help traumatic brain injury survivors from McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. The Golf for Jackie tournament is located at Range End Golf Club. That's in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, not too far from Harrisburg. Jackie, a TBI survivor himself, successfully rehabbed at mcgee brian prop rehab there too by the way for registration sponsorship or silent auction information contact mcgee rehab at 215-587-3145 or giving at mcgee great great
0: uh, event going to happen right there in dillsburg jump in there bob sullivan you're hiding from us hey Ted. week nine <laughs> random qt time we're, I'm almost through this uh, little venture. Explain to the listeners, the new listeners, again, how it works, and I'm on the hot seat.
2: Yeah, we're, we've been doing this for eight weeks, so we got two weeks left. And as with the past eight shows, Bill Random Q2 has me asking you two simple questions. The first question, about a timely sports topic, while the second question, one of ten random questions that I actually wrote down a couple of months ago. And they're about whatever. We limit the segment to two minutes, so here we go. Your sports question this week, Bill, and this is a tough one, I think. I don't even know how I would answer it. In fact, it might be easier to answer a few months down the road, but sorry. Here we go. Brian Colangelo, Ron Hextall, Matt Klentak, Howie Roseman. Of the four general managers in Philly, which one do you have the most confidence in to get his team over the hump and why? Ooh. I know it's not Colangelo, so (laughs) –
0: well, no, it's not going to well, i I am going to. I am going to go. Howie Roseman. I think. I think wow. the Eagles are the closest to getting there now, and with, with Carson Wentz, but, you know, they're a game. They were a game out of the playoffs. I think they've done some things to improve themselves. Um, certainly have to see how this draft plays out, um, but you know, I think Hextall still has a lot of growing pains. And the Phillies are certainly several years away, although they look good on the farm, that they're going to get better. Uh, they're not doing that in the next year or so. So I am going to go with the Eagles and Howie Roseman.
2: All right. I don't even have an answer myself, but you're on the hot seat, so I don't have to answer that one. So it's okay. <laughs> now for your second question this week, Bill, pick a number from the two remaining numbers, four and nine. Which one do you like?
0: Four and nine. Let's go with uh, – an old flyer. How about Bob the Hound Kelly?
2: He was number nine, I believe. He was right. I yep. thought so. <laughs> All right. Which decade had the best music—the '60s, '70s, or '80s—and why?
0: Oh boy, you know that—that's really pretty tough because uh, I have an older, i have an older sister uh, who. Listen to all that music through the 60s and all the Motown sounds and all that was always on in my house as a kid. And, of course, I was too young to be out doing a whole lot of things on my own. So I listened to 60s Motown all day, every day. And uh, so I'm going to go with that. Although, you know, my favorite uh, bands and singers came later. Um, but I- I'm going to go with the Motown sound of the 60s.
2: Ah, good answer. I, I like pretty much every era of music. For me, though, if I was pressed to answer, I'd probably say the 70s because you had, you know, the hard rock, you had the classic rock uh, that we know today, and you had a lot of great pop, too. Heck, I, I admit to even liking, you know, Barry Manilow and that kind of crap, so don't shoot Yeah, yeah I, I
0: wouldn't go quite that far, but there were, there were a lot of bands I liked in the 70s. That was, that was my time as well, so I'll, I'll, you know, I have no problem with that. I'm just going okay. with the other Sounds because... Good. uh I listened to it because it was on. I had to listen to it.
2: Gotcha. One week to go. Thanks, Bill.
0: All right. Okay, Chet, uh, if you're new to our show and we'd like to introduce you to our website, com, so check that out. We want to say thank you to each and every one of you that visits the site, as well as this week's show sponsor, the Irish Rover Station House, Luna, Rue, Taylor, and Heather, Carl's Cards and Collectibles, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge. dot com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com dot com. Check out all the articles. Click on each, and their displays to transfer to their website. And you'll even get a chance this week to read Mister Jim Ch- Chesco's take on Tony Romo and the Dallas fiasco.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's on there somewhere. Always, lots of cool stuff on our website—a Philly-centric scoreboard, articles from us as well as from Philly. dot com, dot com, NJ. dot com, and elsewhere, as well as our most recent couple of weekly shows and more. So come visit often. phillypressboxradio.com. dot com.
0: All right, Jed. Hey, as we mentioned earlier, we've had three—we're going to have three straight weeks of Eagles and NFL draft coverage. We had Ray Dittinger, as we mentioned with us last week. We've now had Fran Duffy. We've covered a lot of stuff with those two guys, and who do we have lined up to talk draft on draft eve next Wednesday night?
2: Well, Bill, we're welcoming another guy who's been with us quite often over the past three years. In fact, our guest next week will become our first-ever eight-time visitor. That drops Ray Dinger, that Ray Dinger fellow back into second place. He's been covering the bird since 1985, but is soon sailing off into the sunset Actually retiring to South Carolina, I believe, soon after the draft. That would be nj.com birds beat reporter Mark eckel Very
0: good. Looking forward to Mike. Or Mark will be almost like a going away party for him uh, on this. Yeah. One. Yep. All right, Chad. Looking forward to it. Let's. Uh, we'll, we'll have all angles covered by the time we get uh, get through with Mark. All right, hey, let's get to our signing updates to Carl's Cards and Collectibles. A couple of the newest Phillies, Brock Stachy and Andrew Gnapp, will be in the store here in the next week or so. Greg Yaboul-Luzinski will be in the store. And just announced last night, Steve Lefty Carlton will be in the store in Habertown. For all the details, go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on the Carl's Cards and go directly to Carl's website for all the details. Or stop by Carl's Cards and Collectibles at 22 West Eagle Road in Havertown, PA. Or give Carl a call at 610-789-4996. You can also contact Carl on Twitter, at Carl's Cards. And, Chad, I have to ask you, are you going to be there to see Lefty or any of the others?
2: Well, Stassi and Knapp are there this Saturday, so uh, I just may stop by. And a chance to say hello to Bull and Lefty again down the road, that's always a possibility. All right, looking
0: forward to that. I, I told Carl, I think uh, when when Lefty comes to town, they might have to shut down Habertown around the block there. I think he's going to have a, a great crowd there. Carl's been able to put a good pricing package together, so it's, uh, it's not uh, uh, some crazy price for a Hall of Famer. It's going to be very affordable, and I think it's going to be quite the success.
2: And, you know, I mentioned this when I met him two years ago, but I was very surprised to learn that Lefty – signs his autographs with his right hand he certainly
0: does he certainly does <laughs> and Can you and believe brooks that robinson Crazy. and brooks robinson who i've had an opportunity to meet many times signs with his left hand
2: <laughs> go figure <laughs> go figure
0: all right mr chestnut we're right on time how about a parting shot for you tonight?
2: yep Sometimes, Bill, you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing at the time of a momentous event. One such event for this Phillies fan happened 30 years ago. Specifically, it was a Saturday, April 18th, 1987, and I was driving from my home in Jersey to my parents' place in Mahanoy City, Pennsylvania, and probably speeding a bit in the hopes that I'd arrive there in time to catch the latter part of the Phillies Pirates game on TV that afternoon. You see, Mike Schmidt had hit home run number 499 the day before, and could possibly get one more at-bat in this ball game. Well, I don't want to get there in time to I didn't get there in time to see it live. I was about a mile from my destination when with the Phils trailing by a run in the top of the ninth, Schmidt did indeed get that one final at-bat in the game, and I think you know what happened. Here's the stretch by Robinson the 3-0 pitch.
0: Swag and long drive. There You don't see Smith get very emotional
1: going around the bases on a home run. He jumped on second with both feet. He banged his fist high around third base. The whole bullpen now is coming out. That is a storybook 500th home run.
2: A great moment in Philly's history, made even better by the call from Harry Callis and Whitey Ashburn, still gives me goosebumps when I hear that one. Bill?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I remember where I was as well. And, Jed, I'm going to tell you something. In the memorabilia yeah. collection, here here's something that I have. I met Don Robinson at a golf outing, and I had a baseball, and he had a couple beverages, and Don Robinson signed that baseball. I served up number 500 to Mike Schmidt, <laughs> signed oh, Don wow. Robinson, which I later had Mike Schmidt sign as well. So in the collection is a ball signed by Don Robinson and Mike Schmidt, and it says, "I served up number five hundred to Mike Schmidt."
2: That is awesome. I love that. It's
0: pretty cool. Uh, that's one of them oddball items that uh, probably aren't many of them around, and I just happened to catch Mister Robinson right at the right time, and he was more than gracious enough to sign that uh, ball, and it was really cool.
2: Now, do you have a parting shot this week, or was that your parting shot?
0: I. I do have a parting shot because I didn't know what okay. your parting shot was going to be about.
2: So, hey, <laughs> your life,
0: you run into those few people that have great impact on your life in some way. If you went to Collingdale High School from the mid-1960s through the mid-1990s, that person was Mr. Jim Slosher. He taught seventh and eighth grade science to every student that went through the school. If you were an athlete, coach Slosher coach football, basketball, and baseball in some capacity during all those years. For me, Coach Slasher was my head football coach for three years, in which we only lost four games, including winning a championship for the first time in thirty five years, and was also an assistant my assistant baseball coach. Coach not only taught us the game, he coached the games he coached, but taught us how to handle ourselves on the field with dignity in class. There was only one way, and that was the right way. He was certainly a man that was that we all learned a great deal from both on and off the fields. Someday, Coach Slosher will be inducted into the Delaware County Sports Hall of Fame for his accomplishments, an accomplishment that makes me and every athlete and student that went through Collingdale High School very proud. Congratulations to a great coach, but even better person, much deserved. Beautiful. That, my friend, is my parting shot, and we have now hit nice. the top of the hours. Let's thank our special guests, Fran Duffy, Carl's Cards and Collectibles, Iris Rover Station House, Lou LaRoe, Taylor & Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chetchesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April 26th, when our draft expert, Mark Eccle, joins us. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. Our Facebook page or on the Internet, at www.blogtalkradio.com/slash Philly Press Talks Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, and now tune in. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Hi.